Over the course of the last several chapters, 12, 13 through 15 there, and 14, Paul has been dealing with um, very specific kinds of issues within the church and how we ought to behave towards one another, how we as Christ followers should function within the body of Christ. And uh, now he's kind of pulling back a little bit from those very um, uh, specific things to more of a big picture, uh, global kind of um, uh, passage through here. So he, he, he gets very personal too. He tells us about his travel plans. He makes requests, personal requests for prayer. Uh, he talks about his associates, especially in chapter 16. And he is giving final warnings and final encouragements um, to the Roman church and by extension to us. It would be much like the way you write a letter uh, or perhaps an email these days. Um, uh, you might open with greetings followed by the details that you want to specifically address because what is the purpose of this? And then you might close with some kind of a personal uh, touch. And that's really where we're at. So I want to read a few verses, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll read a few more. Uh, Romans 15, verses 14 to 16, and they read like this. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified, or made holy by the Holy Spirit. If you had been a, uh, a part of the Roman church, the Christians there in Rome, and uh, you'd heard that this letter had been received and you gathered for the reading of the great apostle's letter to your church. By the time you get to this passage in chapter 15, you may be thinking to yourself, I could really use some encouragement about this point. <laughs> because Paul is very direct, and in especially chapter 14, he is talking about not judging one another, not putting stumbling blocks in each other's way, and uh, lots of admonishments, especially through chapter 14, and you almost get the sense that uh, after saying some of these very direct, hard-to-hear things, Paul is intentionally bringing some useful encouragement and some edification to the believers in Rome. I want to ask you this. Is it important that the church, that Christians receive uh, admonishment and warnings sometimes from the Word of God? okay with that, right? That there are times where the Word of God needs to be very, very specific about issues that arise from time to time in the lives of Christians and how we can tend to wander over into like in chapter 14 where we might have a judgmental thought towards somebody or we might uh, put stumbling blocks in front of our brothers and sisters' way and there's, there's need for correction. Uh, that's what the Word of God was given to, to us for, this for correction, for edification. So I think that we have to understand that that's one of the main goals of Scripture is to provide that kind of correction. But at the same time, isn't the Word of God just one of the most encouraging kinds of things that we can have and things that we can do is to read the Word of God and to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be lifted up. And so it's kind of these two things put together. And uh, I make this point, correction mixed with affirmation makes true disciples. 
We all need correction. Oh, but we all need affirmation, don't we? Most people, including teachers, pastors, probably tend to be more of a corrector or more of an affirmer, one or the other. Uh, if you had to ask yourself, which am I? Am I more of a corrector, one who sees the issues that need to be corrected in other people, or I'm just a, I'm just a, a pat on the back affirmer, I just love to affirm? You probably tend towards one or the other. People who hate conflict will avoid addressing things that really need to be addressed in order for people to get past things and grow. Those would be affirmers. But I would also say there's people out there that kind of like to mix it up a bit. Do you know that? They're out there, right? Uh, they kind of like to shoot straight, and they kind of like the opportunity sometimes to point out things that need to be changed, fixed, um, stir debate, that we need them. We need both. And God wants to put both of those in each of us. We probably all need to realize which one of these we tend towards and actually embrace the value of both. Let me ask you, have you ever messed up? I mean, really messed up in life? You know, I was thinking about an example that I could give. And I thought, I have so many examples. I'm not sure which one I would choose. I think I'm, I, I, I remember so many times when I would uh, just kind of blow it. And my dad... Uh, was one of those dads that was always there with correction. <laughs> uh, thank the Lord, right? Thank the Lord. I, I, I grew up with this healthy, awe-inspired fear that I just wasn't going to get by on things if my dad knew, if he found out. You know, there was something, though, about my dad, even though I knew that there was this... Uh, disciplinarian, this uh, not going to just overlook it, let it go kind of uh, corrector, that he was my biggest fan. I mean, he attended all of my games. He attended all of my concerts. And I got to tell you, it's a powerful influence in a young person's life to know that uh, those authorities, parents, pastors, teachers, those authorities in their life aren't afraid to speak the truth and, 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 and offer correction. And it's always mixed and coupled with this affirmation. In many ways, that's love. That's love of a, an authority to a subordinate, a parent to a child, a boss to an employee. Affirmation without correction is just flattery. And we know where flattery gets you, right? <laughs> Correction without affirmation is just demeaning. It can be constantly putting somebody like they never feel like they quite measure up. Which way do you tend to be? The reality is that if we are just correctors, people eventually kind of shut us out. And when we just affirm and we never speak difficult issues to them, it's kind of like we're kind of fake. Paul, in his spirit-filled wisdom, knows that he must speak the truth into the Roman church. He must speak the truth both in a corrective and an affirming way. He starts this passage here by calling them siblings in the Lord. My brethren, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you are part of my family, my spiritual family. 
He says that he's convinced that you're full of goodness, full of knowledge, and able, able to admonish, to gently correct, to caution one another in your spiritual journey. He acknowledges the point that he's written boldly to them about certain things, and uh, it, it means he understands some of what he's written. It's hard to hear. I get that. I understand that. But he's quick to reemphasize his calling as a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, a priest of the gospel. You know, it's interesting there in verse 16, he calls himself a minister of Christ Jesus. And it's interesting that he doesn't use the word apostle like he does so many other times. Especially at this point, because he's writing about his authority to say the hard things into their life, his God-given calling to speak truth into the church. And I think he really wants us to understand what an apostle, a leader in a church is. Because the word he uses is one of a public servant. A public servant. He uses this, uh, this same word a few chapters back in chapter 13 when he's talking about leaders in government. They are public servants, right? They're not about power and control, right? They're about serving. And he wants them to know that he says what he says because he is serving Christ. He's not speaking to them about, I'm just the guy who gets to tell you what to do and I'm not speaking from my position of power. I'm purely speaking because I serve Christ and he has called me and asked me to say these things to you. It's with almost great humility that I say these things. I would make the point, authority mixed with humility makes good leaders. Have you ever had a, a leader over you, uh, an authority over you, who was only interested in exerting their authority over you? How productive is the workforce, per se, when the authority is just merely exercising positional authority? When you think of great leaders, you'll see both of these things at work in their life. It's, it's not just a good thing for Christians either. I mean, corporations, uh, government officials, the military, they find the value in this basic principle. Google Senior Vice President of People or Operations, Laszlo Bach, says humility is one of the traits he's looking for in new hires. He says, your end goal is what can we do together to problem solve. I've contributed my piece and then I step back. And it is not just humility in creating space for others to contribute, he says. It's intellectual humility. He says, without humility, you are unable to learn. Without humility, you are unable to learn. I, I, I don't know what that says. That struck me. I mean, I, I really believe that. Maybe I haven't heard it put quite that way. But yes. Think about it this way. When you read a book, now be honest with yourself, when you read a book, are you, are you humble in your approach to the book? And you want to read it and, and see if there's some, some way in which God may be speaking truth to you. Maybe the author has something for you to help you grow. Or are you just reading it to see if you agree with it? When you listen to a teacher, when you listen to a preacher, are you receiving whatever God may want to say to you? Whatever he may want to teach you. Or are 
kind of thinking to yourself, I wonder if I agree with this guy. My whole goal is to understand whether or not I concur. As far as learning the implication is, I've already learned it, and I'm here to evaluate. Have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, I could write that better than that person? My thoughts are deeper than those thoughts. You see, I really think it's true that when we aren't humble with our pursuit of knowledge and understanding, uh, there, there's this really a, a lack of learning. You know what the word disciple actually means? <laughs> Learner. Exactly what it means. One who's constantly learning the ways of the discipler and understanding the ways in which he walks. And I want to know more. And I want to embrace more of truth. And when I discover truth that my life doesn't align to, I want to adjust my life to that truth rather than to discard it as something I just can do without. I ask you the question, do you want to have influence on others? I mean, do you want to influence them towards Christ? Do you want to influence them towards God? And you want to be able to move them forward spiritually? Then, then there's both parts are required. There is this, you have to speak to them with the authority of God's call on you. You have to be unapologetic in your presentation of your life before them in Christ. And you don't shy away or put yourself down or say, you really wouldn't want to hear this, would you? You know? You really step up to the plate and allow Christ to be seen through you and the way that you live your life and the words that you say and that you are still humbly learning alongside them. The passage goes on in Romans 15, 17 to 19. Let me read those verses for you. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. You know, you read those words of Paul, you read those proclamations of his ministry. Do you sometimes underestimate perhaps what God may be able to do through you? I mean, sometimes we get to a certain age and we may diminish our expectation of what God could do through us. Don't do that, right? Maybe we're so young that we, we diminish the expectation of what God could do through us. And I mean, we say it often, but... We're not really depending on you necessarily. We're just depending on you to allow Him and His power to so work in you and to so move you and to so use your mouth to say the words and to use your hands and your feet to serve the needs. And God just wants to fill you with the power of His Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish His ministry through you. And for us to put ourselves down or underestimate what it is that God can do through us, we're saying more about what we believe and our faith in Him than what we believe about ourselves. We are supposed to have this kind of 
boastful attitude about how good God is and how powerful He is and how awesome He is and able to work through the likes of you and me, right? So let me ask you, do you ever boast about God? You know, I've learned, I grew up learning, I, I grew up thinking that boasting was bad, didn't you? We ought not boast. And he says, if anybody is going to boast, you ought to boast in God. And in fact, over in Jeremiah 9, he says this, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Now those are things you ought not boast about. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For I, this is God talking, delight in these kinds of boastings, these things, declares the Lord. And Paul is quoting over in 1 Corinthians 31, he's quoting this particular passage in Jeremiah 9 when he writes, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Speak of His greatness. Speak of His power. Speak of His might. Brag on Him. I mean, you think about it. <laughs> Proclaiming how good He is and boasting about Him gets our eyes off of us, for He is good. He is great. He has done great and mighty things. He has included me. Thank the Lord. He has performed miracles and He's performed signs and wonders, it says. He is power. And when Paul is saying these things, he knows that God has not done this on his own, has he? He has used Paul to do these things which have produced such great results. Verse 18, he says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And so kind of in keeping with the points that I've made, I put this up here. Christ mixed with you, makes power. Christ mixed with you makes power. And I, I Don't get me wrong, I think we need to be careful here, right? Uh, you'll often hear me say that we should not view our walk with God as kind of a type of equal partnership where we bring our abilities and He brings His abilities and together we make a great team. I don't, I'm not saying that. You'll often hear me say that only when I acknowledge my weakness and embrace my weakness will he be made strong, and that is true. Yet we can be so self-deprecating that we fail to understand how all of this works. God wants to touch people with the gospel. He wants to change people's lives with the gospel. And he's looked at you and you and you and me and he says, and I want to use you to do it. He has restricted himself. Now understand me. God has chosen to restrict himself in order that he may work through you and I. Cornelius Plantiga, who is a Senior Research Fellow at Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Man, that is a title, isn't it? Senior Research Fellow at Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. But I like this quote. He says, God chooses to do imperfect ministry through imperfect people rather than personally doing it perfectly. Do you believe that? I do. 
God chooses to do imperfect ministry through imperfect people rather than just personally doing it perfectly on His own. Could God do whatever He wanted to do without us? Certainly. But He has chosen to fill us with Him so that these powerful expressions of the Gospel might be manifest in you and in me. The Gospel of God placed in me, placed in you. Oh, and what about us together? The Gospel of God and the gifts of God in you and in you and in you and in me. And He has gifted us. And In verse 19, He says that there is the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit. And when I look at the ministry of Paul, it was evidenced by these accompanying signs and wonders. And there were miracles about His power that accompanied the message of the Gospel. And there was an obvious power of the Holy Spirit upon His life and ministry. The Holy Spirit led Paul from place to place and gave him the words to say when he spoke. And he he wrote all of these epistles in the New Testament through him. And he delivered him from countless obstacles and enemies. And after Jesus was resurrected and he was meeting with his disciples on that day when he ascended into heaven and he looked at his disciples and by extension he's looking at you and he's looking at me today when he says that you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you and you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Why is it that God wants to use His power? What does He want to use His power for? It is for the gospel. <laughs> Folks, if I... In, in, In fear of being a little redundant, the book of Romans is all about what? It's all about the gospel. The gospel. He empowers people to use people to advance the gospel. The Holy Spirit has not been poured out on us to help us carry out our will for our life. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into our lives with this complete life map for us. And it always includes the gospel. Being the life of Christ, being the life of God, if you will, in a broken and fallen world so that others will know the reality of the gospel. And I'm just simply not ashamed of it, right? And that's the way Paul started the whole book back at in the first chapter, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. You want to know where the power of God is? <laughs> it's in the gospel. For it is the power of God for, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to all of us. You want to see power, it's going to be connected to the gospel of Christ Jesus. If we are going to know the dynamic reality of His power, we will have to be about living the gospel of Christ in the world that so desperately, so desperately needs to see it. 
I, 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 I read these passages and I always come back and say, what about me? What about you? What about our church? What about the church of Jesus in the day and age in which we live? And is, is the power of God, is the power of the Holy Spirit, is it still contained in the gospel? Or has it changed? Or do we really even care all that much? I mean, I think of the life of Paul, raised to be a good Pharisee. With a, he had this bright future in Judaism. Man, he was one of the best Pharisees that ever lived. One day he meets Jesus and everything changes. Jesus says, no longer are you going to be a Pharisee climbing the religious ladder. I'm going to call you to go out and plant churches among Gentiles. I know you're a Jew. Paul surely knows that he is looking at a future of hardship and trial, yet God's power is mightily working through him. He is so open. He's available for God to use him. Whatever, whatever Holy Spirit you want to do with me, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, it doesn't matter. Lead me on. And I have to ask myself, what is this? What is it that keeps the fire of the gospel burning in his life year after year after year and epistle after epistle and church plan after church plan. And I'm convinced, folks, I am convinced that Paul never lost sight of a moment that occurred on his road to Damascus where he met Jesus and was changed. He, he recognized his life of rebellion. He was killing Christians. And he recognized that in a moment's time, I am completely and forever forgiven. Oh, every one of my sins is gone. I, the worst of all sinners, as he writes to First Timothy, I, the worst of all sinners, I am fully acceptable. I have been given a, a, a stewardship of the gospel. I have a purpose in life. And, and I'm filled with the very presence and the very power of God. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into my heart. You see, grace found him. He knew he didn't deserve an ounce of it. And yet there it was, the gospel. For a murderous Pharisee. I mean, we look at Paul right now and say, man, what a saint, right? Look at how smart he was and all these things he wrote. What a saint, saint of all saints, right? How did Paul feel about himself? I'm the worst of the worst. point is, if God can save Paul, he can save anyone. Anyone. And Paul, he never lost sight of that. He never let go of the grace that God had poured out on him. And he knew, I once was lost, but now what am I? Found. <laughs> My spiritual eyes were so blind now the scales have fallen off and I, I see 
think about this a lot when it comes to power. Holy Spirit-filled power. We have a lot of discussion about it in the church world today. and People, they, they feel like they know what it is. It's, it's just, if you have power, you're going to have these kind of demonstrations. These kind of things are going to happen. If you have power over here, you're going to have these kind of demonstrations. And these people over here don't like those kind of demonstrations. And if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't want that. That's crazy. That's weird. That's strange. And these people over here then go, I can push the Holy Spirit away because I'm afraid he's going to make me like them. <laughs> what happened to the gospel? To the gospel. Because it's not about that. It's about the reality that Jesus redeems lost people. And yeah, there may be miracles that accompany that so that we understand that very simple fact that Jesus redeems lost people. Pray with me. Father, and... Uh, in so many ways, as I come to the close of Romans, and I, I, I have studied through all of the presentation of the condition of man in the early chapters, and I've studied through all of the, the doctrine of, of, of grace through the middle section of the book, and uh, studied through God's heart for the nation of Israel, and through the chapters 9 through 11, and uh, all of these expressions of the gospel in Romans 12 through now 15, and as I read these summary words of Paul, when he's summing up his ministry, and I think back through all that what he has said in this book, and he's really imploring us as the church of Jesus Christ to walk and live in the gospel of power and grace. He is desperately calling out to the church, and the Spirit of God speaks through these words to us today, that the gospel is all about power, it's all about the presentation of the life of Christ. It's all about people who are lost and hopeless and broken, finding a place of acceptance and forgiveness. And Father, you've entrusted, you've made us stewards of this gospel of grace. And uh, you've not only changed our lives, but you have so trusted us to be attentive to you, to turn to you, to desire that you use us to express this reality. And Father, we live in a very comfortable community. We live in a very comfortable world in this middle-class America, Father God. And yet there are so many broken and lost and hurting people and lonely people. And, and they don't need anything but the gospel. And so help us to know how to Open doors for that. Help us to know how to extend friendship. Help us to know how to meet a need so that the reality of what the gospel is becomes so lived out and so apparent in, their, in our lives and in the life of the church that it just becomes a natural inclination that people have, a natural curiosity. That, what is this? And we just simply let them know it's about an amazing grace that found us when we were lost and broken and hopeless and, and changed us and found us and 
took our blind eyes and let us see. Father, we are so very, very grateful. And Father, as we cherish your grace, I pray that you would bring that that powerful motivation of your spirit to proclaim how amazing it is for lost and broken.